What's the most MacGyver solution you've ever pulled in real life? I was in Germany in the US Army in the late 80s. We still had gasoline engine Dodge trucks. We were returning from a parts run from another base and our mechanical fuel pump failed. We emptied the window washer reservoir and filled it with gas. We carried spare fuel with us and connected the line to the inlet of the carburetor. We used the washer button to fill the float bowl of the carb any time the engine started to sputter and had to pull over every 20 minutes or so to top off the washer reservoir. Took us a little longer to get home, but we made it. Once, a water main burst up the road from our house, and as we were downhill, all the water began to run through the side of our property and threatened to flood the entire house. I took the slide off my sister's playhouse and took it up the road and placed it on its side and propped it up, which diverted the water far enough onto the road that our house completely avoided the torrent. Sorry, neighbors further down the road. Something similar happened to me. When I was 15, we had a water pipe bust in the garage right over the door to the house. I shut off the water at the street and then proceeded to try and unlock the door and enter the house. Broke the key off in the door. Apparently, it was already unlocked, but swollen shut. I was already in the garage with duct tape, zip ties, and WD-40 well in reach. I grabbed our chainsaw and cut the door in half. Let's just say my mom was not as impressed as I was. The second water main story is less of a MacGyver story and more of a Kool-Aid man entry. But you do you, chainsaw man. Me and my friend went to a ski slope in his old Skoda. 86 model looked like a 60s car. It was cold that night, and after the skiing, the doors of the Skoda had all frozen. My friend fixed it by pulling the rubber seal off one of the windows, then he proceeded to pee through the gap by the window onto the locking mechanism inside the door so he could unlock it. Problem solved. I think MacGyver would have been way better if he peed on stuff in every episode. MacGyver, the Bear Grylls years. It wasn't me, but my captain. We were fishing near the Chesapeake Bay Tunnel Complex, and it began to get pretty rough, so we started heading in. About five minutes later, something obviously goes wrong with the engine. Investigation quickly shows the belt had snapped. The engine was a Chevy 350 small block from the 70s. It is getting rougher with each swell's passing. As we hurry to don life vests, our fearless captain drops trow, removes his tighty whities and proceeds to make a belt out of the elastic band. Two minutes later, we are steaming back to port, thanks to Captain Commando. On a San Francisco to Paris business flight about ten years ago, one hour after takeoff or so, a flight attendant announces the AV system is down and the 400-plus passengers won't be able to watch any movies for the remaining ten hours. The passengers suddenly look like someone just died in the plane. I don't care. I'm reading that really good book. After a couple of hours, I am getting tired of the book though, and well, since I am a video engineer, propose my services to the head steward to take a look at that video system of yours. The thing won't power up. Okay, it's rack mounted. Four screws off with a plastic knife, reseat it inside its rack, which is a little bent by using some folded cardboard, no power cord, it's power on contact, shake it a tad, screw it back in, push power button, ta-da! The thing is back to life. The steward announces to the whole plane the great news. I am a hero and get free champagne for the rest of the flight. I walk back under heavy applause to my seat, saluting my three clients seated a few rows behind me. I am the mother-flipping hero of flight AF-480. The end. Just yesterday, I used a small rock, 12 inches in diameter, and a metal rod, heavy steel, 6 foot long, to move a 1,000 pound boulder using leverage. My family was about to start looking to hire a bobcat operator. They all thought I was some kind of wizard afterwards. 
Give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and I shall move the world. Archimedes. My clutch failed in the middle of nowhere. Upon inspection, I discovered the slave cylinder had a leak. In my trunk, I had these items. Electrical tape, window cleaner, water, zip ties, small socket set. I did not have any brake fluid, also used for hydraulic clutches. First, I wrapped the leaking line in a double layer of electrical tape. Then I lined up some zip ties along the patch and pulled them as tight as they would go with some pliers. Now, to figure out how to fill the fluid, I had the window cleaner spray bottle and some water. So I removed the spray apart, stuck it in the water, and primed it out. Then I just sprayed that sucker like my life depended on it to get as much water as possible out of it. Subarus have their brake fluid reservoir right next to the clutch fluid. I inserted the tube into my brake fluid reservoir, thankfully full, and aimed the nozzle into the clutch reservoir and added enough fluid to get to the minimum level. A quick clutch bleed later, I was back in business. Note, this repair was made in desperation. As soon as I returned home, I replaced the hydraulic line and flushed the fluid. It's likely the tape fix didn't do much but may have helped to contain the fluid slightly. No patch is going to hold back the huge pressure in the line. Wow, I was coming here to impress everybody with the story about the time I had fixed a blown radiator hose with nothing but an empty beer can, but after reading your post, I think I'm going to keep my pathetic little exploits to myself. I would have probably just drank the cleaner fluid or licked the car battery. I probably would have just walked crying into oncoming traffic. If your car dies, you die. The narrator sympathizes with the comments of the less savvy amateur mechanics following the main story, and is right there with them. If I ever even have to fix so much as a busted tire, I hope everyone driving past me enjoys observing failure in its purest and most miserable form. When I would get into trouble as a youth of 14 or 15, my mum had a lockbox with a keypad entry system where she would keep my effects, Game Boy, phone, laptop, etc. One night while I was grounded, I collected dust from our grandfather clock and coated the keypad in it. I asked my mum if she could help me wash some grapes in the kitchen, then asked to use my phone to call a friend about a group project. The water on her fingers cleaned the dust off four numbers, and then it was just a matter of trying the different combinations to discover the code. Helping my buddy and his wife clean up their new place, there was an old padlock on a hasp that couldn't be removed in any convenient way. I determined that it was a pin tumbler lock. I asked him for a paperclip, and while they were making fun of me, I calmly broke the clip into two pieces, inserted one as a tension tool, then used the other to rake the pins above the sheer line, and about 30 seconds later, pop, I had the lock open, tossed the lock to my buddy, and went outside for a smoke without even glancing at them. Bond. James Bond. Hotwired some antiquated phone jack in Serbia. Post-Bosnia War, pre-Serbia NATO bombings and attached my 56k laptop modem to it so I could access Hungarian CompuServe internet to get news from the outside world whether my team of 10 foreigners needed to evacuate or not. This was 1998. I basically ripped off a weird wall plate and pulled a pair of twisted wires out of the wall, stripped them with my teeth, years of cheapskate car audio repair had prepared me for this, and twist-wired it to two of the four prongs in my pop-out phone jack on my PCMCIA modem. Connection speed was slow, probably 28.8 kilobytes per second. I basically checked my email back to my boss, whose boss was watching CNN 24-7. Or so they assured me. We stayed for a couple more weeks. If I recall correctly, the crap only hit the fan in Serbia in 1999, but it was touch and go while we were there. 
The diciest part was figuring out with the house's owner how much I owed him for international calls. Exchange rates were changing like crazy, and I had a mix of Serbian dinars, Hungarian forint, US dollars, and Deutschmarks. I worked for a little company that created web shops for all the big companies in the area. One Wednesday, we were supposed to push a big update onto the live servers and thereby make a ton of new features available to the public. Only problem, there was a huge rainstorm on Tuesday night, a window broke, and the whole darn office was flooded. Almost all of the computers were completely toasted and none of the workers would dare go into the office. So I decided to wade through the water and built this Frankenstein's monster of a PC, with parts from the toasted computers. No PC case, just the bare components laying on top of a desk, while standing in knee-high water. I must have checked the electricity 20 times before finally turning the thing on, while sitting on the desk. We barely managed to push the updates to the live servers. In conclusion, big flood in the office, built a Frankenstein's monster PC, saved the day. 1997. Me, broke, driving my date's 1988 Buick LeSabre on the Houston Beltway, taking her home around 1.30am. Sound in engine compartment, engine light comes on. I drive for a little while longer, but it's apparent it's the battery as the lights start dimming. I pull over quickly then, knowing I have enough juice to start it again if I get fixed. It's the alternator belt, one of three belts. We were on the elevated portion of the 290 interchange, so a long walk to anywhere. And after a few minutes with zero people coming by, I got my courage up and asked for my date's pantyhose. Yes, I tied the pantyhose into a belt where the alternator belt should be. I debated tying both legs into a thicker belt or remove one leg and keep that in reserve. I removed one leg of the pantyhose. Damn thing worked. We kept the headlights off for most of the way. We had to travel about 10 miles and the makeshift belt lasted about 9. Engine light comes on again and this time I was going to burn the battery all the way down and make it the last mile. We did, but I guess the juice in the battery wouldn't have lasted another mile. We were married that December. She hasn't worn pantyhose since. And then one day, the alternator belt on your current car snaps. You know, this wouldn't be a problem if someone still wore pantyhose. I was locked out of my house in the middle of the night. All I had was some wire, some outdoor furniture, and a garden hose. So I used the patio chair to smash the window. Your name really made this for me. Thank you, defenestrator. I have to admit that while writing this script in the middle of the night, the misdirect on this story got a hearty belly laugh that may have woken up my neighbors. When I was in the army, I was well known as the guy in the unit who knew about computers. This was 1993 or so, and I had a computer in my barracks room. Ran a BBS, actually. But hardly anyone else had much experience with anything more complicated than a TRS-80, if that. I was assigned to the Battalion Operations Office, and we had a Zenith Heathkit 80286 machine that ran DOS and was used to make Harvard graphics slides so that officers could brief other officers. It also had some kind of primitive RDM BS, Powerbase or something, I think. Anyway, one Saturday morning, I got the CQ, charge of quarters, banging on my door. It's like 8 in the morning, and I like to sleep in on a Saturday. The CQ says, Captain wants to see you, Linz. And I'm like, what the frick did I do? Captain is the intel, not really in my chain of command or hierarchy. So I hustle my butt down to the operations office in my PT uniform, and Captain is sitting there, looking forlorn. He explains that the computer is locked with some kind of password, and he really needs to get into it so he can finish a presentation deck. I was confused because I didn't set a password, and hardly anyone else used the thing. I turned it on, and some kind of primitive BIOS computer password prompt comes up. So I pull out the manual. 
Going through it, it says that if the password is lost or forgotten, to send it to them and they'll reset it. I think to myself, they must have a simple way to do that that doesn't involve replacing the entire board or doing something expensive. So I pull the case open and look around. I know some electronics and recognize the memory chip. This was long before DIMMs in a DIP socket. It's the only thing not soldered to the board except the CMOS battery. I go to grab the Sergeant Major's toolbox from his office. This is not a nice indoor set of tools. This is a paratrooper color Sergeant Major's toolbox. It's crusty, nasty, and half the things in it are rusted and dirty. Everything's functional, but you wouldn't think about getting this stuff into a computer. I grab a pair of rusty old pliers, wipe them down to get the dirt off, and while this captain is practically losing his mind, he knows he'll have to pay for the computer if I break it, I yank that chip out, fire up the machine, and it works fine. No memory chip, no password needed. I was a freaking god after that. Me and two friends locked ourselves out of the house. Looked through the letterbox and saw keys sat on a telephone table at the far end of the hallway. Rang locksmith. 100 pounds to come out. Headed to the garage and found bamboo canes, duct tape, of course, and an Allen key. Five minutes later, we have a 21-foot pole with a hook on the end. Fed it through the letterbox, hooked the keys, carefully lifted them through the letterbox. Danced. One time, I was camping, and after firing up the grill, we realized that we did not have a spatula. As a solution, I shoved a beer can over the end of a stick and smashed it with a rock. It worked like a charm. Repaired a laser missile tracking system in Balakistan on a hot 130 degree Fahrenheit day with a Swiss army knife, leather belt, wire coat hanger, and a pocket handkerchief. Damn circuit had shifted. Opened it up with the Swiss army knife, used wire to jumper the melted connector, leather to insulate, handkerchief to tie it all up. Passed the launch test. Went back and fixed it with actual tools and spares the next day, but I felt like Angus all day. I was on a date once and I had a rusted 1974 Impala. I had to unstick the butterfly valve on the carburetor, so I used my mascara wand to unjam it. Wow, four marriage proposal comments answering this story today. Not too shabby. Sorry guys, getting married in 20 days from today. I understood maybe 10% of the words here and I'm still oddly turned on. I'm a straight woman and I swooned. I'm a lesbian and I doubly swooned. First at the 1974 Impala, then at her. Female watchers, we appear to have stumbled upon a surefire way to make everyone fall in love with you. Now go brush up on those mechanics. When I was 14, I went to visit my grandparents for a week, as I did every year. Being old, they didn't do all that much. Most evenings revolved around NYPD or law and order and eating pound cake with cherry ice cream. I don't like cherry ice cream. Anyway, they had one of those old-school cable boxes with the buttons and the knob and three rows of channels. Also, being old, my grandparents went to sleep by 11, leaving my pubescent and hormonal self to explore the house for, as I've always called it, jerk material. Fap material in the parlance of the times today. There was a Sears catalogue that likely had my fingerprint on every page, along with other bodily markers and fluids. My imagination, I use that a lot, kids today don't realize, but we used to go around taking mental snapshots of every single female chest and piece of exposed flesh we could to store it up and use it later during our alone time. And of course, scrambled softcore adult flicks on channels my grandparents would never subscribe to. One night, frustrated by the lack of material to inspire my fifth stiffy of the day, I experimented with the cable box. And let me tell you, I hit proverbial gold. 
I found that if I pressed down two channels next to the scramble channel and then fiddled with the tuning knob, I could almost get a clear picture with real girls that had real bazongas that were really exposed. Sure, sometimes it would get into a negative picture, and sometimes, right at the point of teenage euphoria, it would scramble really bad and I'd lose my stride and need to get started again, but it worked, and it worked well, and to this day, I will never find success rigging something like I did with that cable box. I was the same way as a kid. I put so much effort into scrounging up spank material. As a horny adolescence back in the 90s, I didn't have internet or access to adult flicks, save for a lone playboy that I wore out over the course of a few months. But I did have HBO and a VCR. I would figure out which movies had scenes of nudity and when they took place. Then I'd look to see if the movie was playing late at night, when everyone was asleep. I would set my alarm for when the movie played, sneak up to the living room and pop in a VHS tape and record whatever adult fun time scene I could find. I made sure to put it all the way toward the end of the tape so no one discovered the little compilations I was making. Never underestimate the resourcefulness of a horny 14-year-old boy. Without a doubt, we could probably get a group of 14-year-old boys together, say a dozen or so, deprive them of their own alone fun time for two weeks, and then tell them they can go to jerk to their heart's content after they build a bridge or cure cancer or something. Stuff would get done. Was backpacking and slipped down a cliff. I ripped my chest open pretty good and was about two days from medical. I had a basic sewing kit in my backpack and stitched myself up. The stitching held until I got back to civilization a couple of days later, and the doctors commented on how good my stitches were. Still have a big scar, but it is an awesome story. I actually held part of a submarine together with duct tape for an entire deployment. Seriously, not kidding. It wasn't the actual shaft itself, but there was a piece of it that broke and we didn't have the parts to repair it. Without those parts, the shaft itself would not be able to rotate without becoming irreparably damaged. So we used duct tape to rig it so the shaft could rotate freely, and then instituted a series of checks to make sure the rig, which was meant to prevent seawater leaking in, wouldn't leak too much. It did leak a lot, but we could just pump the bilge water overboard without a problem. Yes, I am American, and no, I will not say which submarine. I was like 17, and the school day had just ended. Everyone was in the parking lot getting ready to leave. A girl I liked couldn't get her car started, so I went over to try to help. I don't know much about cars, but I saw the battery had a lot of corrosion on the terminals, and when I popped open the battery, noticed it was pretty dry. There was a little kid nearby, so I gave him 50 cents and told him to go get me a Pepsi without giving a reason. I used some of the Pepsi to fill the battery cavities, and some to completely clean the terminals. The car started right up after that. It only took half a can, so I finished the rest. Because, you know, I was 17 and didn't realize that something that can do that to a battery might not be the best substance to ingest. Anyway, I'm pretty sure this is what led to my first post-high school job, designing airplane parts with her dad's company. I had a huge rock that was in my driveway, and it seemed like every year it would get pushed up a little bit more, to the point it was becoming a huge hazard. We had gotten estimates to jackhammer the thing, making the driveway passable, but they wanted between $800 to $1,000. I had remembered reading something about Hannibal's expeditions, where they would put hot coals on a large rock and then douse it with freezing water, and then smash it with a blunt object, fracturing those boulders and allowing Hannibal to continue his trek, and decided to try it. I took a bunch of charcoal and basically baked this huge rock for about 30 minutes, and then immediately threw a ton of ice water onto it, resulting in a loud pop. Then I hit the rock with a sledgehammer, and the rock exploded into a million pieces. I definitely got a kick out of putting some ancient science into application. 
A few years ago, my roommate, who wasn't on the lease, lost his job and bailed on me. Needless to say, this left me in dire straits. I got behind on bills and the electricity was promptly turned off. Q Ingenuity The apartment complex had two light bulbs outside each door that came on each night on a timer. To cure my infinite boredom in a dark house, I brought a couple of those screw-in adapters that turn light sockets into standard power outlets, plugged extension cords into them, and ran them into the house. Bam! I instantly had television, a lamp, a fan, and could charge my phone, and all on the complex's dime. Not my proudest moment, but it felt pretty crafty. I lived in a third-floor apartment with a key-coded foyer door and a keyed apartment door. That day was spent at an outdoor festival, and by the time I came home, the combination of sun, dehydration, and exhaustion, plus the little bit of beer I had before sobering up and venturing home, had me struggling to stay upright and not vomit. Unfortunately, right around that point was when I realized my apartment key was no longer on my key ring. Cell phones are notoriously unreliable at this festival, and even if I could have gotten in touch with my friends, I'd lost it in a relatively wide patch of grass. There was no way that key was coming home. Convinced I was about to spend the night in my laundry room, I found a piece of rusty wire in the parking lot and picked up my apartment's lock. It took about 15 minutes. More distressing than the ease of entry was the fact that no one asked why the disheveled, wobbling girl was in the hallway picking a lock. 